Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Christ is risen from the dead. And we gather this morning as we do every Lord's Day to celebrate the good news of his death for our sin and his victory over the grave. Our hearts have already been prepared to receive God's word through the worship team and the songs that we have lifted up. And this morning, I am so glad that you are here to celebrate with us. My family and I could not be more blessed this year to be here and to be a part of Chillicothe Baptist Church. And so if you would, join me in a word of prayer as we ask God's blessings upon his word. Father, we bow our head before you and we thank you that there is only one gospel. And that gospel is the gospel of your son who came from heaven and died for our sins on the cross according to the scriptures and was buried and then was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And thank you that he has ascended into heaven and he is at your right hand and that he is the mediator between God and man. And through him, any person who would repent of their sin and call on his name can be saved and granted forgiveness and have a new life in him. And so thank you for your salvation. And thank you for gathering us here as the redeemed on this Lord's Day to celebrate Jesus and what he's done. May the Holy Spirit empower the preaching of the word. May Christ be exalted And may he work in our hearts to bring peace and comfort and to convict us of our sin and to cause us to live our lives unto his glory. We pray now that you would give clarity of thought, open our hearts to receive your word, and we trust all of this to your name because it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. This morning, we want to preach a message entitled, He Has Risen. And I want to invite you to go to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and we're going to read here Matthew's account of the resurrection. Please stand with me as we read God's word together. The scripture says, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come here, for he is, come, come here and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There is no greater grief than the loss of a loved one, especially a child. Though I have never experienced that particular sorrow, I certainly know that there is nothing like it, having stood by those that have had to endure it. I'm not trying to take away from any other loss that may occur in our life, but there is something very specific about that. And this morning when we open up this text and we read, we see that there are women who have made their way to the tomb where Jesus had been placed, and they made their way early that morning. But what I want you to realize is they were real women. They were real people. They experienced a real death, and they were enduring a real sorrow. One was Mary Magdalene who had found hope in Jesus earlier in his ministry and had come to faith in him because he had forgiven her of her sin and had cast out demons out of her. Another was Mary, Jesus' aunt, according to most scholars and commentators. But there, were other, there, there was one other Mary that was there not mentioned in Matthew, but indicated in the other Gospels, and that was Mary, the mother of Jesus. She had been there at the cross and witnessed his crucifixion. And now she made her way there in her sorrow and her grief with the other women to one more time visit the tomb. Their hearts are heavy as they arrive. They carry burial spices, and perhaps we could just assume that by bringing burial spices with them, they had hoped to preserve his body, maybe just for a little bit longer, so that they could, uh, so they, so, so that they could dry their tears and say their final goodbyes as they dealt with their grief. I think the point that we want to see here is, is that, again, this is a very real experience that is taking place because it's a real event. And it reminds us that nothing brings sadness to our hearts more than death. And while that is logical and obvious, the Bible provides a theological understanding of death. Just consider what Scripture teaches about death and see if it rings true in your own estimation. Death is a curse. Death is a curse. Death is an enemy, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 26. Hebrews chapter 2, we're told that death is a tyrant and that all men live in fear of death. Death is an end of earthly life. Death is a separation. It is a separation of the soul from the body it is a separation of the of the of the of the from from among the living and so death is a separation but death is also permanent that is once a person dies or once we die we don't get to come back we don't just like we don't float over the earth we don't um we don't become angels as uh, i said recently and and just you know live in heaven the reality is is that death is It separates us, and death is permanent. And so when we look at all these different statements that pop up on the screen, it just simply reminds us 
that when death threatens us or threatens those we love or when we see it flashing on our news feeds and in the headlines, we try to do everything we can to perhaps ignore it, to prevent it, and when it happens, it devastates us. Here's the truth. We hate death. And the saddest news in all the world is death. But that brings us to the passage that we've read this morning. Because what these women found when they came to the tomb that morning was a total surprise. And what they heard truly when they arrived at that tomb is the most amazing statement ever framed in the human language. And here is that statement. He is not here. He has risen. You know what that means? Death definitely is an enemy. Death definitely is a curse. But what we discover in Matthew 28 is death is defeated. And so this morning, the key truth that we just want to recognize this morning that just jumps out of Matthew 28 is this. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest news in all the world. It is the greatest news of all the world. He has risen from the dead, truly is the greatest news. And what I want to do this morning is just look at three things that we see in the text that really demonstrates this. One, we want to see the discovery of the tomb. And then we want to look at the declaration of the angels at the tomb. And then we want to see the delight of the resurrection. So let's walk through this passage this morning and consider how it speaks to death and what truth it declares over us. First, I want you to see the discovery of the tomb. In verse 1, Matthew brings our attention to what they discovered. And pay close attention. It says in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Notice that this discovery was made by the women, the women we just mentioned. Now there is established agreement that the witness of the women really does solidify the truth of the resurrection. The reason we would say that is because Matthew does not care that in courts of law, the testimony of women would have been ignored. But for Matthew, that doesn't matter because the reality is these women were Christ's followers and what they would discover or look at the text, what they would see in that tomb would be a trustworthy account of what had actually happened. The wording is very specific in Matthew's gospel. And and again, you can even underline it. And the other Mary went to see the tomb. What they saw in that garden would be the fulfillment of God's promise and would become the foundational testimony of the gospel message that Christ not only has died for our sins, but that he is raised from the dead. And so the discovery is made by these women, but it's also met with wonder. And I just want you to pay close attention. Look at the text. And, and I've left it on the screen so you could just see that everything we're saying is just flowing right out of this eyewitness account. Look at, look at verse 2. And so the other Mary, they went to see the tomb and behold. Now, three times, if I'm not mistaken, you will come across those two words, and behold. 
They're significant. And because they're repeated, there's something important that we are to notice. It is used actually not three times, it's used six times in, the, in Matthew 28. It is intended to provoke our amazement. In other words, something unexplainable has happened. Something unusual has taken place as they make their way to the tomb. Notice, let me just walk through it. You see, there was a great earthquake. What met them with wonder? Well, there was a great earthquake. And verse 2 says that. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that set on it. And so this is the second earthquake surrounding the events of the cross. I mean, imagine what you would have felt, what you would have thought if you were there making your way to the tomb. Because literally, just, just sometime before here, while Christ was on the cross, the scripture says and the earth, that, that the sun was darkened and the earth shook, indicating that the event on the cross had significance. And what was that? God's wrath being poured out on Christ for our sins. And now he's been put in the tomb and there's another earthquake. But what this earthquake indicates is just simply a culmination of what the other indicated. And so they had to wonder what was happening. Because the earthquake then is accompanied by an angel of the Lord that descends. And the text says that. It is clear. An angel appears. And whenever an angel of the Lord appears... That angel is a mouthpiece of the Lord to make an announcement. Anytime you see that in Scripture, Matthew includes one angel, which would also be the young man of Mark's gospel. Luke and John include two. So there is definitely more than one angel. But here's the point being made, and I want you to get this. Gospel events always include glorious invitations. When Christ was born, the angels appeared to the shepherds that were gathered on the hillside of Galilee. When, angel had, when, the, when the angel came, when Mary was told that she had conceived of the Holy Spirit, the Messiah in her womb, an angel came and announced that to her. And here, an angel has appeared to make a glorious announcement. And so Matthew tells us, that the one angel, that, that tells us of this one angel so that we can get a sense of the wonder and pay attention to the single most important message of all time. In other words, Matthew just wants you to see the one angel because he wants you to hear what the one angel has to say. But before the angel speaks, look at the actions of this angel. Look at the way the text describes what's taking place. What does the angel do? The angel rolls away the tomb. Now, many highlight the fact that the rolling away of the stone is not to let Jesus out. You're going to see that in just a second. But the reason that the angel rolled away the tomb, or the stone from the tomb, is to let the women inside, along with the other disciples, so that they could see with their own eyes that he was not there. According to Mark chapter 16, verse 3, the women all the way to the tomb were discussing who would roll away the stone so that they could enter. In fact, 
in Matthew 27, verse 60, it says that the stone was a great stone. But the reality is, is that they knew that it would have been impossible for them to roll it away. So they were contemplating, okay, what are we going to do for this to happen? But this is a day of great impossibilities because the angelic actions show that Jesus was long gone even before the stone rolled away. You can't explain that unless you understand that his resurrection took place. And so notice the angel then, the stone is rolled away, but I love the action here. Look at it. It says, and he sat on it. <laughs> he sat on the stone. What, what is the imagery here? I, I just think it's simple. It's just an indicator of triumph. Something's happened here that's never happened before. It is the posture of divine completion. And so there the angel is sitting on the, sitting on the stone. And notice the description in verse 3 of the angel. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing white as snow. See, this is why Hollywood always falls short in how it tries to depict anything. I mean, you, how do you depict lightning? You can't. I mean, the, the, the words are just trying to describe how absolutely supernatural and gloriously radiant this is. I mean, it's, it's the indication, that the, light, the, the imagery of lightning is an indication of radiance, like the Shekinah glory that appeared in the temple when the glory of the Lord fell upon the, uh, upon, entered into the temple. And so the, it was like lightning. And notice his clothing white as snow, emanating the majesty of God, that he had come from heaven, that God had dispatched him, that he had been in the presence of God, and now he came to the, to the earth in order to meet the women just at the very time they were making their way to discover the empty tomb. And so... The discovery is met by the women. The discovery is, is made by the women. It's met with wonder. But notice, it is marked with terror. Look at verse 4. And for fear of him, that is the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, pay attention here. These guards were placed to ensure no one attempted to steal the body or disturb the tomb. That's why they were there. I mean, these guards were military soldiers, not mall cops. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, these are Roman soldiers, highly trained, understood what their task was. And the scripture indicates that they fall down as dead men. I mean, they could have lost their lives if they failed to do their job. But what the text shows us is, is that they are traumatized. A being from another world had just shown up. The earth quakes, and so do they. They are so overwhelmed with terror, and they are so struck by fear, that the text says they fall down like dead men. And by the end of verse 4, we are simply left with these soldiers on the ground and most likely they eventually disperse out of fear. 
and the women arrive to discover the tomb. Now just think about all that description in this discovery. You say, well, what what is so important for us to see here? I think that what's important here is, is that we understand that the discovery of the empty tomb should strike in us, should stir in us our deepest longings and provoke our wonder. We should sit here this morning and look at this text and with the same, with the, with the very intent of the author writing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is for us to see it and sit and, and read it and then step back and wonder. Wow, our deepest longings are truly met right here. What they really wanted was hope. What they really wanted was something amazing to happen. That's the longing of their heart, even though they wouldn't have articulated that. They didn't expect resurrection. But the reality is the discovery of the empty tomb stirs our deepest longings. It provokes our wonder. Let me ask you a question this morning. What does the empty tomb mean to you? Do we stand amazed when we read this text at its simplicity, yet at the same time at its greatness? It is just not what we expect. We expect death. We expect no one to come back. And yet here, the only person in human history is not in the tomb. He's risen. And so, that leads us then to the second observation. You come to the end of verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And then you get to verse 5, and you have the second observation. The declaration of the angels. Now look, look at the text. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, just observe here for just a second that the angels ignore the guards. Again, they probably most likely have dispersed. And the angel addresses these women who have not said anything at this point. But they are definitively startled and fearful in a way different than the traumatized soldiers. I mean, it's just an interesting It's just an interesting contrast. But notice the declaration. Notice what the angel says. And you'll see three things. You'll see first, you'll see a God-sent assurance. Do you see the assurance in the text? Do not be afraid. Wow, listen to that. Do not be afraid. The angel came to did not come to harm them. The angel has come to help them. Don't you love the tender care that the angel presents to these grieving women? It really reflects the the divine care of God himself. That he cares, and so do his servants. Do you remember what Jesus said to the disciples when they were troubled in the upper room? Just before the crucifixion? What did he say? Did he criticize them? Did he jump all over them? No, what did he say? He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Let me give give your weak and troubled heart assurance. Jesus is never critical. He's never harsh. He's never overbearing. He's never insensitive. Always willing to come to us and to reflect the true divine heart of God. To remind us that there is nothing to fear. And truly soon they will realize there really is nothing to fear. 
And so the same is true for us. As we look at our own fears and we look at our own insecurities and we look at the reality of death and grief and sorrow and all the things that so often will float, will, will just simply come over us time and time again. And what the gospel reminds us for those that are in Christ, there is nothing to fear. And God speaks to us in the tenderness of that tomb, reminding us, reminding these women of the divine assurance that there's nothing to fear. You know, it's one thing to sit here and listen to that and hear it. But it's another thing to be in the hospital room or to be on the table and being, re- being prepared for a major surgery or to be standing in the funeral home in the darkness and in the weight of sorrow and then in those moments to be reminded what we have heard proclaimed in the congregation and it's those moments that we need that reminder do not be afraid don't have fear because Christ has overcome the grave but the angel calms their fears but then in this assurance notice the encouragement that the angel presents For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. They know, the angel knows their mission. The angel knows their assumptions. And the angel knows their concerns. They know, the angels knew that they were looking for a corpse, a body. The body of the one who three days earlier had been brutally scourged and nailed to Golgotha's cross. And the angel knows their love and affection for Jesus. And here's why that statement is so powerful. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Because the, they knew, the angel knows, what these women do not know at that moment. The servants of heaven know the mission of redemption. And they know that that tomb is empty. And without doubt, the angel's voice brought assurance to the women and then leads to the glorious announcement. Look at verse 6. So after the assurance, then you have the announcement. Don't be afraid. I know what you seek. And then in verse 6, the announcement. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. And in this announcement, he is not here, for he has risen. Listen, again, there are no greater words ever proclaimed over the graveyard of planet Earth than those words right there. They communicate to us a historical, literal, bodily resurrection. Why do we have to say it that way? Because it happened in human history. It's not myth. It's not legend. It is given to us here as just simply a matter of fact so that we will receive it as the truth. It is literal and it is bodily. Jesus literally got out of the grave. He physically got out of the grave. He, didn't, he wasn't spiritually alive like a ghost. Or metaphorically dead through, through passing out. And then regained his conscience in the tomb. When he went into that tomb, he was dead. He was dead. His body was lifeless. There was no heartbeat. There was no blood coursing through his veins. He was dead. And he had been in that tomb, sealed in that tomb. And so it's important for us to recognize that. It is important because these women saw him crucified. 
nailed to the cross. They would have seen the spear go into his side and the blood and the water flow out. They saw him wrapped in grave clothes. They had already put burial spices on his body and helped in the preparation for the tomb. So what I hope you see is, is that that makes that announcement like a hundred times even more powerful. The angel is telling them that the crucified lamb who had been buried is now the risen Lord alive forevermore and that the tomb is empty. Those women stood in this garden in a new creation that was flowing out of that tomb. Don't forget there was another woman who stood in another garden called Eden. And in the garden of Eden, she stood and the curse of sin and the curse of death fell upon her and Adam and on that garden. But in this garden, guess what happened? The first glimpse that the curse has been lifted. And the curse has been lifted because Jesus is the first of many who are going to come out of the grave because He is risen from the dead. You can't help but see the beauty of the imagery here. And notice what the angel says. It's just as he said. In, in other words, this has been the plan all along the cross and the empty tomb before the foundation of the world this is the ordained plan of redemption and jesus had predicted it over and over again and i know we know that the disciples and the followers of the lord after the resurrection they begin to connect the dots and they would say oh We remember him saying that destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it up again. I'll raise it up again. They remembered on the way to Jerusalem, he kept saying that I must go there, I have to die, and I'll be raised again on the third day. And so the announcement is solidified by Christ's own words, whereby he had communicated his divine mission. But notice the angel goes a step further. You don't just have the announcement. You don't just have the assurance. You have an invitation. Look at the invitation. Come. See the place where he lay. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. The great discovery is now in clear view. Yes, they see it. He's not there. And what would they have seen when they walked into that tomb? What would have been the visual discovery? Well, the tomb is empty, but let's add some detail here, taking from the other Gospels. The linen cloths that wrapped Jesus' body, they were there. But John's gospel tells us that they were sitting there like a shell. Right? You've seen locust shells. And the locust shells sitting there on the tree. The locust isn't inside, but the shell is there in the full shape of the locust. The indication of John's gospel is the, the, the grave clothes laid there as though he just passed right through it. And he did. He passed right through it. And the handkerchief that had been on his face, though John's gospel says that he had taken the time to fold it and lay it on the very place where his head rested. Are you getting the picture? It would have dawned in these women's mind, the women's mind that Jesus really was gone long before they showed up at that tomb when the stone was rolled away. 
He had slipped through the grave clothes. He had taken the time to fold the napkin that covered his face. And then he burst forth from the grave. And here's the greatest reality of it all. He left death behind, defeated, and sealed in that tomb. So did you hear that? Let that truth explode in your soul. Let that truth flood your imagination. Hear the news. Come and see, my friend. That's what the angel's doing. Come and see that he's alive and that the gates of heaven are now opened, full and free for salvation. And of course, after they invite him to go and see, it says, go quickly. It's an invitation to also go and tell the disciples. And so the women are, notice what takes place as you go through the next verse. He is not here, he's risen. Come and see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. In other words, he's out and about. (laughs) Behold, and then they see the tomb. Behold, he's out and he's going to meet you in Galilee. And so the women are transformed from mourners to messengers. These precious women are given the resurrection announcement to take and grant, give to the hiding disciples. And the angel concludes with these words, see, I have told you. In other words, what the angel means, I have done my job. And now it is their job to go and to tell the disciples, and then from the disciples, for this news to spread. He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. That is the declaration of the angels at the tomb. So what do we walk away with with this? The declaration that Christ has risen from the dead gives living hope. Does that declaration of the angel give you hope this morning? Do you embrace that with faith, saying that you will believe? Do you believe the gospel? And believer, does that declaration not only bring comfort to your soul, but does it remind you of the necessity for us to take that message and share it with everyone? Everyone today is gripped by fear of death. There's nothing new. And here we have the greatest announcement of all to take with us. And to remind people that Christ has defeated death. So that leads us to one third and final observation. The delight of the resurrection. Look at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb. With fear, and listen to this, great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. And then the text says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And when they saw him and Jesus meets them and he greets them, they fall to his feet and hold on to his feet and worship them. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee and there they will see me. So notice the delight of the resurrection. Joy filled them. What a glorious morning. They came to the tomb carrying spices to anoint Jesus' body, prepared to enter that tomb. But on that glorious morning, they met angels, not guards. The tomb was empty. And now they are running away from the tomb with this news. 
Now, how would you have felt if you'd have been there that morning? I mean, the text says they were filled with fear. What that means is there was a fearful excitement, a a delightful nervousness. Ever seen a young man or a young woman before on their wedding day? Yeah, that look on their face. Like, yeah, they're happy, but they're also scared. A fearful excitement. It's not negative. Or what about the birth of your first child? Look at the face of any father especially. Complete fear of like, what, and mother too. But point being, there's a, there's a nervous excitement. And that's what's here. They were scared with a nervous excitement. What do you do with this news? I mean, this is, it's overwhelming. And let's not negate the reality. They are, abs- they, they are just struck still with wonder. But notice that the text pairs this fear with joy. And it uses the same phrase that Luke's gospel uses at the announcement of Jesus' birth, that there is great joy. Yes, there was great joy at the birth of Christ. Oh, but what great joy there is here at the resurrection of Christ. Notice the fear is mixed with a feeling of joy. Like a child on Christmas Day. What a morning, resurrection morning, truly was. They came in sorrow, and now they're running with song. Great joy. They went to the tomb talking of a stone to roll away. And now they ran from a tomb shouting that the Savior had risen. That is the joy of the Christian gospel. The gospel makes us a joyful people. We, our sins are forgiven. Death is defeated. We can sing. We can grieve with hope. Because of this truth. And then look at verse 9. Jesus meets them. As they head to the city, Jesus meets them. And don't you again love the intentionality of our Lord? And, and, and the, I mean, again, no parsing here of these words. He's greeting them. Greeting them. Hello. Greetings. It's like a friend. Like a family member. He greets the disciples with tenderness and with love. And what makes that so astonishing is the fact that they had ran and where they were in hiding. And yet he greets them with love and friendship to remind them and to reveal to them what had happened. And verse 9 tells us that as they approach, notice what they do. When they see him, they bow down. They took his feet. The text says that they worshipped him. What does that indicate? That indicates to you not only the truthfulness of the resurrection, but the reality of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God who came from heaven and now has risen from the dead, and He receives our worship. They approach Jesus in the flesh, grab a hold of His feet. They grab His nail-scarred hands, and it reveals to them and to us that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Not only is he, reason, is he risen, but he is worthy of our worship. You see, this exercise today is not for just us to sit and to hear the word, to read the text, and then to say, oh, well, now I understand. But the intent of the text is to lead us to worship Christ as the Lord and Savior, the God who has come to rescue us. Do you worship him this morning? 
Do you worship him with your life? But then we see that finally he instructs them. He says, after he receives their worship, but then he says, go and tell my brothers. And what is important here is that Jesus affirms that he intends to still use these weak and feeble disciples to be the ones to bear the good news of Jesus Christ. The spread of the gospel doesn't depend upon our abilities and our gifts. They depend upon the power and the truth of the gospel that we have to tell to others. And so the resurrection here, it fills us with joy. And it causes us to worship the living Christ. That's the delight of the resurrection. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be reminded that I need to be filled with joy. I need to, God is calling all of us to worship his son, the living Christ. And who is in your life that you need to share this gospel with and share this joy with others? Does the good news fill you with such joy and such worship? And so this morning as we come to the end of verse 10, and Jesus again reminds them to not be afraid, but this time to go and tell, it reminds us that these 10 verses we've looked at this morning shows us the greatness of the resurrection. It is what J.R.R. Tolkien's called the eucatastrophe, a sudden turn in a story for the good, such a good that it meets all of our longings and it pierces us with joy, such joy that it brings tears of relief and comfort. Because it's the greatest news in all the world. The resurrection is the most significant doctrine of the Christian faith. And it is the single most important event in human history. That's why Paul said, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It is a fact that Christ is risen from the dead. Whether you or I believe it or not, it happened. But what I do pray this morning is that you will believe the gospel today if you do not. And that you embrace Christ as Lord. There is no other hope. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the greatest news in all the world. And it is just too good to not be true. So let me ask you some questions. Do you have real, death-defying, heaven-securing hope this morning? Do you have death-defying, heaven-securing hope? Do you have confidence as you look to your death? Do you know where you will spend eternity? What is your hope in life and in death? Is it Christ? Have you committed your life to worship and serve this Christ who came back from the dead? And this morning, will you repent of your sin and believe the gospel, the good news? of his death and resurrection. My encouragement to you today is to do that today. Come today. If you're here today gripped by the sadness of death, the slavery of sin, the gospel says there is hope and there is a Savior that invites you to himself. And as we sing here in just a moment, we want to invite you because we're happy to pray with you, talk to you, help you, so that you will have joy and that you will have hope in this gospel. Let's stand and let us pray.
as we pray this morning, as our worship team comes to sing, as we're singing, as the Holy Spirit leads, if today you're struggling with fear of death or just anything that, if you're struggling with what, what does it mean to be a Christian, this time of invitation is for you. And again, we're more than happy to meet you in front, to pray with you, and to help you. Let's pray, and then let us respond to this great news of salvation. God, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he has defeated death and overcome the grave. Help those this morning who need hope, who need hope in the midst of sorrow, who need hope in the midst of fear. We pray that you will meet those that need the forgiveness of sin so that they will find salvation in Christ. Those who need comfort and peace, may they find it in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And let this great news rest in our hearts and ring from our lips to all around us. He has risen. And may our lives and our deaths display the glory and the greatness of our Savior who has delivered us from all of our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.